0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. John chapter 3, let me just very quickly put it into context. Many a person knows John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, but many of you know this because you study your Bibles, but there may be some who don't. When the Lord Jesus stated that, he was in a conversation with the man. Uh, The verse was not just written abstractly into our Bibles. It is in the midst of a conversation that Jesus was having with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was very religious. and So Nicodemus was familiar with Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture. He was familiar with Jehovah God. He was familiar with certain promises uh, out of the Bible about a coming Savior and so forth. He is very religious, but the Bible says he was not yet, as the Bible would make it clear, it was clear he was not yet saved. He came to Jesus by night because he was afraid that his peers would see him and they would reject him or even worse, persecute him for being uh, perhaps a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he came to speak to Jesus by night, and it is Nicodemus that Jesus told you must be born again. Now, if I tell you today, in the most literal sense, you must be born again, what could you do about that? Being born again means you need to start over. What you are in the first place is not good enough for the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Nicodemus, I don't know that he scratched his head, but he probably did. He said, can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb? How can I be born again? And what Jesus explained is it was a spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So it's in this context that we have John 3, 16 and 17. If I asked somebody this morning, when were you born? They said, I'm not sure I was. What would we say? Or if I said, when were you born? They said, I understand some people don't know their birth date, like it wasn't written down. So when were you born? I don't know. How old are you? I don't know. Is that normal? If I said, was there a day when you were born? You say, I'm not real sure. I'm working on it. What would you say to that person? No, you're either born or you're not. And the fact I'm talking to you means you were born, right? The Lord Jesus intentionally used being born as a picture of being saved so we wouldn't be confused about what being saved is. Number one confusion I deal with in Boundary County, and I say confusion, sometimes people are purposely confused, but many times they're not. They've been deceived by the devil, is believing that being saved is a process that we're working through a process and hopefully when we die, we'll be saved. They think saved is something you can't know until after you leave this life. May I say, without any, without any hesitation, you are this morning, you've either been saved or you've not. You either are saved or you're unsaved. It's not a process. It's an event. Birth, though it is a process leading up to it, When you were born, the doctor wrote down a minute that was on the clock when you were born, or your parents. You were born on a day, at a time, and in a place. And being saved is likened in John 3 to being born. It's something that has taken place, or it hasn't taken place. You've either spiritually received eternal life, or you have not. Having said that, let's read again verse 16 and then verse 17, which is where we find the word saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. There's that word. God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. I looked up the definition from Webster's Dictionary this morning of saved. It means this, preserved from evil, injury or destruction. It can mean to be kept frugally or prevented or spared, but in our context, it means be preserved from evil, injury or destruction. May I say, some people confuse being saved in the biblical sense with physical salvation. You may have uh, been in a car accident and someone saved your life. What means is they prevented you from dying in that moment, your body from ceasing to work and your spirit and soul departing your body. But you're still, that's not salvation. I met a man in town here one time. He was well up in years. Spoke to him many times about his need for salvation. And I would say, have you been saved, Mr. So-and-so? And he would say, yes, I was in World War II and we were in a ship and our ship was struck, and I should have died, and God saved my life. That's not what it means be saved. So again, what does it mean then? If it doesn't mean that you were going to die... Now, look, if God spared your life like that, He gave you more opportunity to truly be saved, to truly be saved. So this morning, these four questions. If Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might, might be saved, why do we need to be saved? I think we'll answer the question, "What it means to be," if we understand why we need to be. Why does mankind need God to come in the form of Jesus Christ and save us? Save us from what? What do we need saved from? Well, the Bible says in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-one, that the Lord Jesus got His name Jesus because of what He came to do. Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-one. Uh, by the Bible says this. Speaking to Joseph, the angel is talking about the birth of Jesus, and it says of Mary, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, and it's all in caps, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, if somebody came to me today and said, Pastor, I've come to save you from your marriage, I would say, No, thank you. I'm glad to be married. I love my wife. I don't want you to save me from my marriage. I enjoy my marriage. I love my wife. Don't you come around here if you came to save me from my marriage. You with me? Some people treat sin like that. Jesus came to save you from your sin. I, I don't want saved from it. I'm enjoying it. Well, then you can't be saved. You can't get saved from something you don't want to let loose of. You with me? He came to save his people from their what? Sins. Sins. So the first reason we need to be saved, I'm telling you the message is so simple but so true, is because we are corrupted. We are corrupted in a twofold manner. We are corrupted by nature and we are corrupted by choice. Meaning, we are sinful because we were born with that nature in us, but we are sinful because we have chosen sin over righteousness. Every person in this room, I'm aware of this, and I can say this without any hesitation, every person in this room has done something that in their own conscience they knew was wrong, and they did it anyway. Is this true? Romans 3.23, for all have what? sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, let's put this in the proper light. How many times has God done that? How many times has God known something was evil and wrong and He did it anyway? Correct. Zero times. That's exactly right. Zero times. The Bible says, He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we are sinners or corrupted by nature. What happens to corrupt things? They die and they're discarded. They die and they're discarded. I often think about what God's going to do at the judgment by what we do when we're calling out potatoes in the garden. I come through a box of potatoes that we've boxed up out of the garden and I say, that's a good one, that's a good one. Last year what happened is we came. Through, we had voles get into our garden. I hate voles with a passion. I hate them now. I hate them so much we now own a cat. Now that tells you how bad I hate voles. And that cat does not live in our house and he's not going to... But we have a cat, by the way. Thank you, Stantius. He's doing a good job, right? But the fact is, I would get, and probably two out of every five potatoes had been chewed by voles. I don't like sharing my potatoes with voles. You know, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to share that. So we'd get to those and say, we, man, it was a beautiful potato, but I've got to pitch it. It's corrupt. You with me? Now, at the judgment, God's going to either receive you or reject you. You're either going to be received into His presence, into His very presence, into heaven, or rejected, and that's all based upon what you do with His Son, Jesus Christ. To be saved is to be spared the evil of an eternity in the lake of fire. We need saved because we're corrupted. We are not, we do not share any longer the sinless, the wonderful character of God. The Bible says there's not a just man on earth which doeth good and sinneth not. Tell me this morning what is sin it 's disturbing to me when Gallup or Pew or one of these research companies does a, uh, a research and they ask people what sin is today uh, there as many people think that harming the environment is sinful, but living inside of me is not that 's disturbing don 't intentionally harm the environment. God made us stewards of it. But may I say this we have, a, we have a contorted view of what sin is in our day. The Bible says sin is the transgression. Of the law in 1 John. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's the book of Proverbs, I believe, that tells us the thought of foolishness is sin. Sin is disobedience to God. That's what it is. It's doing what God told us not to do, or not doing what God did tell us to do, and therefore we are corrupt by nature. Let me read very quickly Ephesians chapter two. Verse 3. I'm asking, why do we need to be saved? Because we're rotten. (laughs) Because we are we are sinful and corrupted by nature and corrupted by choice. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, among whom also let's back up a little bit. Verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead. That's corrupt. (laughs) dead in trespasses and sins. You know what sins, sin does? It kills you spiritually. That's what it does. It kills the inner man. Verse 2, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among also whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. What were we by nature? The children of wrath, meaning living in such a way that we had incurred the wrath of God on us. I don't know about you. Uh, Fred and I were talking about what wrath is just, just after Sunday school. I don't want God's wrath stirred at me. God's wrath deals with His indignation of heart against sin. Let me give you a couple of reasons why God's wrath is stirred. I told you... We need to be saved because we're condemned, we're corrupted, but because we're corrupt, God's wrath is on us. Because we're sinful and God... You say, I thought God is love. God hates sin because He loves us. The wages of sin is death. And so then, because of our corruption, God... How many you know what the word abomination is? I know what the word abomination means. Our culture doesn't really like to use those words anymore. It's a little too strong. How many know there's a number of things in Scripture that are an abomination to God? There are certain things God hates, meaning He has an utter despite in His soul for them. Some feel that today God is neutral. He just, he just likes people, and it doesn't matter what you do. You couldn't make Him upset. You couldn't get Him displeased with you. Friend, that's not true. Now, God's not sitting up there twiddling His thumbs waiting for who He can strike with a bolt of lightning. That's not true either. But there are things that incur God's wrath on us. Because we're corrupt, God actually hates what we are. How many of you have ever had someone say something corrective to you and you made a face like this? you ever do that to your teacher? Now, I've done that to my parents, but never when they were looking. I enjoy living. <laughs> say something to you and they walk out of the room and you go, roll your eyes. What would you call that look? I don't anybody telling me what to do. What would we call that? A proud look. You know what God thinks of a proud look? The Bible says it's an abomination. Hands that shed innocent blood. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A lying, lying lips are an abomination. How many of you ever have used your lips to convince somebody that something was true and you knew it was false? Come on now, how many have ever used your lips to do that? The Bible says lying lips are an abomination to God. That's why they're not found in heaven. Nothing that makes a lie is going to be in New Jerusalem. You know that? Lying lips are an abomination to God. There are seven things in the book of Proverbs. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 6, are an abomination to God. They characterize what our nation has become. Characterize it. People run to do something they know is wrong. Uh, hands that shed innocent blood, a proud look, all these things. He that soweth discord among brethren. How uh, many of us have ever said something because we envied somebody else and we wanted to break up a friendship because we weren't prime in that relationship? Among brethren. Sow discord among brethren. These are abominations to God. How I many you know that the sin of sodomy, men with men, women with women, is an abomination to God? It is. The Bible says so. It's an abomination. And so then, these are things that God hates. Let me read you a couple of verses. I'm asking you this morning, why do we need to be saved? Because we are in trouble with a holy God who doesn't sit back and say, Oh, it's okay. He looks at what we are, our disobedience to Him, our disregard for Him, our living life according to our lust, and it's disdainful to Him. He hates it. He hates it. He hates lying. He hates adultery. He hates uncleanness and fornication and all these things. It's, it's abominable to him because he's pure and holy and perfect. So look, if you would now, at Romans chapter 1. And again, if you can't get there, that's okay. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. How many of us, when I said, have you ever used your lips to lie, knew that when you raised your hand, you're in, we're indicting ourselves? Because we already knew lying is sin. i got news for you. Before I ever could memorize my first verse... I could not have quoted you Colossians one nine line not one to another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds. I knew I was wicked because I lied. It was in me. That's in me. How many of us know that even in the remotest parts of the world where men have never seen or heard a Bible, they know in their conscience it's wrong to take up a stick and kill another man? Cain knew it, and there was no Bible. It was in him. I'm just saying this. We need saved because we're corrupt, and because we're corrupt, we're condemned. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. See, so I thought Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't. We were condemned already. That's what John 3 says. We're condemned already. Uh, our sin has already gotten us in trouble with a holy God. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 3 through 6, he says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, The wrath of God is on mankind because of our disobedience. God didn't create man to be immoral. God did not create man to live according to his lust. God created man to fellowship with him and obey him. The Bible says God made man upright, but he sought out many inventions. So why do we need to be saved? Because we're corrupt, and because we're corrupt, we're condemned. Look at Romans 5. I don't know of a better verse on this than right here, Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. Romans 5. So we've seen that we're children of wrath by nature, meaning what we are by nature has incurred God's wrath on us. How many of you said, you know what? Um, you 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 went to class to learn how to ha- be proud. Listen this morning. Being proud is like breathing for humans. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. Pride oozes in our veins. Well, I'm trying to say this. We're by nature because of what we received from Adam and Eve, we are by nature the children of wrath. Romans 5 says, verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, what's the next two words? For us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. What saves us from the wrath that we've incurred because of our own disobedience? Jesus Christ we should be saved from wrath through him verse 10 goes on to say for if when we were enemies when we were against God when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we should be saved by his life how many of you have ever met somebody and man they've just got some animosity toward God I'm gonna tell you what let's not complicate the issue so well they were probably hurt by a Christian it's likely but when I find somebody with deep animosity toward God, I say, I don't know what sin it is that you are happy about, but your reason for animosity at God is because of the sin you're clinging to in your life. That's pretty narrow-minded. I've never seen it fail. Atheists are not atheists because they don't see evidence of God. Atheists are atheists because they love their sin and they don't want God telling tell them what to do. Period. End of story. met a young man a few weeks ago. He said, I'm an agnostic. I said, when did you stop believing in God? Oh, I never really did believe him. I said, I don't believe you. I don't believe him because he wasn't telling the truth. The Bible says the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Sin is what put us, a problem between us and God. I'm asking you, why do we need to be saved? Because there's enmity between us and God over sin. Our sin has incurred his wrath. God is not neutrally sitting in heaven today looking at America and saying, well, they're like all the other nations. Our sins have the wrath of God on us as a nation. The Bible says in Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God except the United States of America. It's not what it says. I'm telling you this morning, the question is, why do we need to be saved? Because we've disobeyed God and he's not happy about that. God is still just even while he's love. And God's wrath is on us. But listen, you know what? I don't want to see any the, the thought of a human being going to hell. I, I got news last night. A man I've worked with in the jail ministry, a man I've witnessed to many times, left this world at 38 years of age on March the 7th. I was told he was murdered. I haven't verified that yet in another state. I've witnessed that man so many times to my knowledge, unless he repented between the last time I saw him and that, to my knowledge, he's in hell today. Now, I, I, that's hard for me. Because there's no escape. There's no purgatory. There's no out. That's hard to swallow that, that people go to hell. But if you think it's hard for us and we don't want people to go to hell, do you realize God is so concerned that you do not experience his wrath? That he did something to save you from it. No one wants you. Someone says, What an angry God. No, hold on. God is just in having wrath toward us. I got news for you. If you saw a child, and that child came up to their mom and daddy, and mama said, or daddy said, Hey, come here and I want you to sit down, the child turned around, <coughs> how would you feel toward that little, blessed, sweet, innocent baby? Get him. Wouldn't you? I mean, you got red blood in your veins. You'd say, that is not right. And the father gently says, now look it, you're not going to behave that way. And the child says, I'll do as I please. Thank you. Tell me you've never done that to God. That you knew what God wanted you to do and you thought, I don't care. As long as I don't get caught, I don't care. You know what God ought to do with us? He ought to zap us on the spot ask you something. If you ever had another human being, let's say, I remember this, my mom, my dad worked downtown Knoxville, Tennessee at a place called Lot. I worked for him there for a while. Rough spot in the town. And there were men who would come by and they would beg in front of Lot, the little grocery store. And this man was begging and my mom felt bad for him so she went and bought him a meal. Didn't even ask if he wanted it. Bought him a meal, brought it to him, and handed it to him and he threw it back and my memory is that he spit. Didn't want it. He wanted alcohol. Of course, my dad went out and ran him off after that. You can't be here doing that. But you know what? If my mom had the power to punish him for that activity, it would be tempting not to, wouldn't it? It's one thing that God has wrath toward us. It tells you something else, that he has the power to cast us into hell, but has not done so yet. It tells us that God is merciful and long-suffering. I just want to ask you, have you treated God as good as he's treated you? I have not. You know what? I've never even died for another human being, let alone for those who hate my guts. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet saying, I don't care what you told me to do. I don't care that you created me. I don't care that you designed me. I don't care that you have the power to snuff me out. I don't care that you always do right. And i that doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And God says, I'm going to keep dealing with you because I don't want you to experience my wrath. Who survives the wrath of God? Who survives it? No one. Not one. Now, here's what I want to say this morning. Why do we need to be saved? Because we're corrupt, and because we're corrupt, we're condemned. The next question is, who does God want to be saved? Does God actually want to save us from His wrath, or is He trying to trick us until we finally get what we got coming? No? I want to be very clear this morning. If I ask you this morning, who does God want to be saved? What would your answer be? Some? The best of the best? The Bible makes it abundantly clear who God wants to be saved so that we don't have to wonder. Again, my heart was much moved. I was talking to a young man this week, a young man I've known since he was in grade school. And I asked him, I said, are you saved? He said, no. I said, would you like to be saved? And he knew what it meant from the Bible. Would you like to be saved? I would. I said, does God want you to be saved? He said, I honestly do not know. I don't know if God wants me to be saved or not. Can I ask you this morning, if you're here and you say, "Hmm, I'm corrupt, all right. And that means I'm condemned, all right. And I wouldn't mind being saved from God's wrath one day, but I'm not sure if I can be. I'm not sure if God wants me to be I'm going to give you some Bible this morning that answers that once and for all. Maybe you know somebody and you say, I don't know if God wants to save them or not. Let me let's put that to rest this morning. Look if you would at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. While you're turning there, John 3.16 once again says, For God so loved certain ones in the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Is that what it says? It's not. For God so loved the what? The world. That means all. Black, white, male, female, past, present, and future. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if that weren't enough, if there were some question in our mind what the world was he was talking about, a select few in the world or certain ones in the world, then he says it this way, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Same young man. I said, what does whosoever mean? He said, I don't know. I said, it means Whoever. Anybody, it's not difficult to grasp. First Timothy chapter 2 says this, For this is good and acceptable. We're in verse 3 of 1 Timothy 2. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have some men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Is that what it says? Who will have all men to be saved then come under the knowledge of the truth. How many men does God want to be saved? All men. Now listen, some people have a hard time with this. Have a hard time with this. I'm not sure why, because the Bible is abundantly clear. When I say this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we sit there and go, I wonder if all means all. We're all sinners. We have no problem understanding what all means there. What we have a problem with is if God wants all men to be saved, why do so few get saved? The problem is not with what God is willing to do. The problem is with what man is willing to let him do. Don't miss that this morning. God will save whosoever will. Many just will not. Many love their sin more than they want salvation. They want the pleasure of sin for a moment and hell for eternity. That's what it boils down to. And God says, I'm not willing that how many should perish? Any. So first Timothy three says, who would have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that here's that word again, three letters, but it's so encompassing, but that all should come to repentance. If that's not enough, how many know this? that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established? I just want to establish this this morning. If you're sitting here this morning with warm red blood flowing through your veins, God wants to save you. I can say that on the authority of the Word of Almighty God. He wants you to be saved from His wrath. God's wrath is on us, but He does not want you to experience that. For those who project God as this... This long-term, I'm going to plan out, I want to save those, and I don't want those. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, if that's not enough, go to Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. The only way you'll come away believing that God doesn't want all to be saved is to twist some Scripture out of, scripture, out of context and read extra biblical material. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 17... Verse 30, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth some men in some places to repent. All men everywhere. Who has God commanded to repent? All men everywhere. You know what? That's why the Lord Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because God would have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. The question was, why do we need to be saved? Because we're corrupt and we're condemned. Who does God want to be saved? All men, every man. All men, which means every man. All men, everywhere, God would have to be saved. The Bible says, of course, in Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When the Lord Jesus died, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, the Little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, he tasted death for how many men? Every man. I've got a question. Are you part of that equation? Can I say with assurance, when Jesus tasted death on the cross, he tasted death for me? God is so wise that He constructed Scripture in such a way that if any person says, I'm not sure if God wants me to be saved, you can blow that right out of the water. That's a lie of Satan. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come repentance. He tasted death for every man. He died for the whole world. That means for the time that He was living and our time. God covered all the bases to let us know, if you perish, it won't be because I wanted you to. If you ever taste the wrath of God, it will not be because He did not provide a way for you to be saved from it. God would not have us to experience His wrath. He loves mankind and made a way so that we can be spared His wrath. Who would God have to be saved? All men. Every man. If you read in Ezekiel, you'll read that God does not take pleasure in the destruction and the death of the wicked. You can read that in Ezekiel chapter 18. I believe it's also in Ezekiel chapter 30. I want to turn there very quickly because I want to clarify that. I want to make it very clear. God sent Jesus Christ in the world not because He wants to pour His wrath on us, but because He wants to save us. In Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23, He says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God? and not that he should return from his ways and live. If we move on down, Acts 8, or Ezekiel chapter 18 it says, verse 30, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Verse 31, cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Listen to verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Could Scripture be any clearer? God's not sitting up there saying, I can't wait to zap that one. He's not like us. Met a man the other day. He seemed excited about some people going to hell. God's not. Not willing that any should perish. So, why do we need to be saved? Because we're corrupt by nature and by choice. We're condemned Who does God want to be saved? All men, everywhere, whosoever, every man. The third question is logical. Then what must I do to be saved? If I need to be saved and God wants me to be saved, then what must I do to be saved? It's a good question. There's a man in the book of Acts asked that question. Look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. There's a man here that understood that he needed to be saved. He was about that close to physical death, which means he was going to meet his creator and no spiritual death. And so then, in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, says and verse 29, talking about the Philippian jailer, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Paul had just stopped him from committing suicide. He thought he'd lost his prisoners. If you lose your prisoners as a Roman jailer, you lose your head. And he knew his fate and he thought... I would rather die with some honor killing myself than being killed for losing my prisoners. So he had taken out a sword and was going to kill himself. And Paul said, Do thyself no harm. Verse 29, He comes in trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, he obviously wasn't talking about saving his physical life. That was done. Paul had already saved his physical life. He's talking about his soul. He had come that close to meeting God and he says what must I do to be saved? Listen how complicated the answer is in verse 31 and they said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Isn't that complicated? We'll do something like this today. Well come attend a few classes and learn these catechisms and do this and get baptized and do the best you can and work at this program and turn over a new leaf and stop doing that and start doing this and you might get it. We don't do that, but there are those who say things like that. You know Paul said? It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now if that's telling you, being saved is not something you do for yourself, it's something someone does for you. Faith allows someone else to do something for you you cannot do for yourself. That's what it is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Number one, this is simple faith. It's simple faith. He didn't say, believe the 2,300 tenets that we're going to put before you over the next six months. You don't have to get an education to get saved, you just have to believe the promises of God concerning Jesus Christ. That's why you must be converted and become as little children. That's why God could save me as a little child. I believed I was condemned. I believed that I needed to be saved. I believed that God wanted me to be saved, and so I let Him save me. Isn't that complicated? You know why people die and go to hell? Not because it's complicated, because it's simple. They stumble over Christ. Many a person says, it cannot be that simple. It is. Believe, meaning put your trust in Jesus Christ. He will save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he said, and thine house. Meaning, if they'll believe on Christ, he'll save them too. You know why they said that? They didn't have to say, let us interview your family and see if they meet the conditions for someone God wants to save. We've got to find out if they're in the elect or not. Did they do that? They said, what works for you works for your wife, works for your children. Whoever's in your household, God wants to save them too. Amen? Amen? Listen, we're going out this afternoon, hand out a book of John, a book of Romans, and I can say without any equivocation, knowing I'm not stepping outside of God's will, if you're not saved from God's wrath, yet God wants to save you, I can say that without any doubt. That's what they were saying. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thine house. It'll work for anybody that will take God at His word. It's simple faith. It's believing what God says. John 3.16 is loved so much because it's so simple and it's so clear. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He so desired to save us from what we deserve that He took it on Himself. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I say simple faith because it's faith in one person and one person only. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. Isn't that simple? You trust Jesus to save you, and my friend, on the promises of God, he'll do it. Another young man this last week, I asked him, I said, do you believe this? He said, I do. I said, are you saved? I am not. I had two men tell me, I am not saved, based on God's definition. Do you want to be saved? I do. Does God want you to be saved? He does. Would you call on Him and ask Him to do it? I will. And he said, Jesus, save me. <laughs> that's too simple, preacher. Is it now? Romans ten nine and 10 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that's one name, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you might get saved. Is that what it says? Thou shalt be saved. That's done. Not you might enter the process. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. I mean, you believe what God says, that Jesus literally came out of the grave after being crucified for our sins. That means he's able to save to the uttermost right now. If he's living. Believe with thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10 13 then says, For whosoever, there it is again, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad the word saved in the Bible? Aren't you glad that God spelled it out so clearly what it means to be saved? It is simple, sincere faith in Jesus Christ. That's what you must do. Trust Him to do it for you. I've got a question. If it's this simple, why don't more people get saved? brings us to our fourth question. We've asked one, why do we need to be saved? We're corrupt and we're condemned. Does God, who does God want to be saved? All men, every man. What must I do to be saved? Simple, sincere faith. God refers to it as faith. He refers to it as repentance. You say, the one verse says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can you sincerely believe God and not repent? Repent means you take God's side against yourself concerning your sin. You agree with God that it is just and right that his wrath would be on you. If I'm still defending, well, I don't know why God would send me to hell. I'm not that bad. You can't be saved. You don't believe him. He said the wages of sin is death. If I believe Jesus Christ, if I take Him at His word, repentance and faith are inseparable, two sides of one coin. When you believe God, it brings you to repentance. And you repent because you believe Him, meaning you get God's attitude about sin and about Jesus Christ. You will agree with God, Jesus is the only one who can save me because He's the only one who died for my sins and raised from the dead. If someone says, well, I want to be saved, but I I still kind of believe that Jesus works for those who believe in Him and Buddhism works for those... No, friend, that's not believing God. There's only one way of salvation, and when you've repented, you'll believe God on that issue. Simple, sincere faith. It has to be from here, not from here. You have to trust that what God said is true. You have to believe that when I call on Christ, He will do what I'm trusting Him to do. Is that not, the, is that not simple, sincere faith? Finally, the fourth question is this. The first one was, why do we need to be saved? Who does God want to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Only one final question is, do you want to be saved? Isn't that it? Go to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. So well, everybody wants to be saved. Everybody wants to be saved from the consequence of sin, but not everybody wants to be saved from sin. Don't miss what I just said to you. Everybody wants to be saved from the consequence But not everybody wants to be saved from the the sin itself. Some say, how can I get saved from hell but keep and stay married to my sin? No, God's called us to trust Christ to save us from our sin. To see sin as that's why I said repentance, to see sin as he sees it. Sometimes we're not willing for various reasons. We don't believe Him. We don't believe it's actually true, whatever it may be. But the fact is, the only thing that hinders a person that knows they need to be saved, knows that God wants them to be saved, knows that God has done everything to save you, and is ready to save you right now, really the only thing that hinders it is unbelief at some level. I don't believe Him about sin. I don't believe Him about the Savior. And that unbelief leads to an unwillingness. God only saves those who are willing to let Him. You with me this morning? Revelation 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride. That's what's going on this morning. This church, I get to be the voice today, but this church is echoing a message. It's declaring a message. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst. What's it say next? Come. That's a decision. And it's not coming to his physical location in the building. It's coming to Christ. It's coming to him, your heart to his by faith. Let him that is a thirst come. Now listen closely. And whosoever, and then there's a four-letter word, will let him take the water of life. What's next say? Freely. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life. Freely. You know what? God's saying, you need to be saved. My wrath is on you. I've done everything necessary to save you because I want all men to be saved. If you'll trust me, I'll save you. All is there for you to take. All that is left is for you to decide will you believe God and get your will in compliance with His will. He's not willing that you should perish, are you? You know why people perish? Not because God was willing. They were willing. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. See, what will it cost me? Not a thing. He already paid the, the debt in full. He already took your wrath, he already took your judgment. He lives, he promises that if you call on him, he'll save you out of a sincere heart of faith. Finally, John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus likened it to a cup of water, like it is there in Revelation twenty two. John chapter four. And we'll get very specific in just a moment. John chapter four, verse. 10 The Bible says, Jesus talking to this woman of Samaria at the well. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest, and I've circled in my Bible, the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. You know how so many times the concept of giving is in that verse? It's in the word gift. It's in the request to give. And it's in given thee, living word. You say, what must I do today to be saved from hell, to have eternal life? You've got to go to the one who has it and ask him for it. If I said this this morning, and I will, I'll say it right now. If anyone in this room wants this pen, you ask me for it, I'll give it to you. He was fast. Now, he got that because I like Camden so much better than everybody else, right? You know why he got it? He wanted it. And he let it be known he wanted it. If I had a hundred more pens, I could say, whosoever will. All you got to do is ask. Salvation's that simple. Did you pay for that pen? What did it cost you? Now, a pen is a cheap illustration of salvation. <laughs> Salvation's worth all of eternity. Say, it's that simple. Christ has bought it, paid for it, offers it to you like water. And he says, but you've got to ask, and I'll give. is that simple? question this morning, why do we need to be saved? We're corrupt, condemned. Who does God want to be saved? All men. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust on him to do it for you, to wash away your sins and make you righteous. You know what makes you righteous? Trust in Jesus Christ. That is so clear in the word of God. It is your trust in Christ that in God's eyes, he says, if you trust my son, I count you as if you've never sinned. It's called being justified. My question for you is this this morning. When did you accept salvation from Christ? When did you trust him to save you? Because that's when he did it. If you're here this morning and say, boy, I struggle with whether I'm I'm saved. Are you trusting Christ today? When did you do that? When did you sincerely believe God, I'm a sinner, I deserve the wrath of God, but I believe what the Bible says, that Jesus died for me. And you turn to Christ, and whatever words you use, there's no magic phrase, you said, Christ, I want you to save me. And that's when he did, because he keeps his word. You may be sitting here this morning, you say, and you don't have to say it out loud, but in your conscience you may be saying, I've never had time like that. You may be sitting here and familiar with everything I'm preaching, but you have never simply and sincerely looked to Jesus Christ to save you. He literally does it when you trust Him. That's when you're born again, when you look to Him to save you. Look at Isaiah chapter 45 as we close, and then Isaiah 59. We'll go 59 and then 45. Isaiah 59, you know, one of the burdens I have is, boy, I'd like to see more people saved. God has used what I'm preaching to you this morning to help me so much. God's willing to save anybody. God's willing to save anybody. He's willing to save anybody who'll let him. So it helps me know how to pray, and it helps me know how to labor as someone who wants to see more people saved. And I think of this verse, Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Are Americans too far gone to get saved? No, Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, and neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. Is God deaf this morning? If you were to ask Him to save you, would He? Be, I, I can't quite hear you. You got to pray a little harder. Is His ear deaf? No, He can hear just fine. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. When we say, "Well, I don't think I don't think I'm that bad," I I want to cling to this. No, we have to turn to him, trusting him to save us from our sin, from his wrath. Now look at Isaiah 45. I didn't write this down, so bear with me for just a moment. Isaiah 45, I believe that is the, the text I'm looking for. Verse 22, Isaiah 45:22. 20. Listen how simple this is. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Now, in the Old Testament, in John chapter 3, Jesus explained this to Nicodemus. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. How many of you know that the people that were snake-bitten there in that story in the book of Numbers were dying from the poison? God provided a way to save them physically to give us a picture of spiritual salvation. What did they have to do? God said, if you'll look at the pole, the serpent on the pole, I'll, I'll heal you. They just had to believe God and look. That's why it says in Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be ye saved. What do you need to do this morning for God to save you? Believe Him and simply look to Him. You let Him do it for you. Take Him at His word.